Season 3 of the Options Save Lives podcast is brought to you with the support of our presenting sponsor, R Street Institute, and is hosted by Executive Director Jenny Williamson. Today, we want to welcome Corey Blake to the Options Save Lives podcast. Corey is a chef and certified wine specialist who's been using the Sinclair Method since 2019. Corey, please take a moment to introduce yourself to the audience and share a little bit about what your life was like before you learned about the Sinclair Method. First of all, thank you so much for having me. So happy to be here. Um, and I let's see, I grew up in Connecticut. Um, I'm still here. I've been here most of my life. Spent some time uh, in Dublin, Ireland. Um, and I originally started studying psychology over there and um, was uh, a very good kid um, and didn't really discover alcohol until I was around 17. Um, and I was always kind of an anxious kid. And I remember my first sip of alcohol at a party when I was 17 and I said, oh, this is how people go to parties and are social and communicate with other people. This is the ticket. Um, this is what I've been missing. So, um, and I still was kind of a light drinker um, until that move to Dublin when, uh, not to stereotype an entire country, but the many of, um, a lot of the stigma about the drinking is true. There's um, there's a lot of drinking culture. And so it just became a normal part of my life. Um, and uh, I got, you know, into kind of the drinking culture, but then also became very interested in wine and said, you know, forget psychology. I'll make a career of this. Uh, this will be great. Um, but I noticed that I reacted to alcohol differently than everyone around me. Um, sometimes I was just fine. And sometimes I would black out and say, oops, uh, no one else was drinking that way. How, <laughs> how did that happen to me? Um, and usually people would shrug it off and say, oh, you know, that's fine. And I always protected alcohol, uh, looking back. Oh, uh, it's the time of my cycle, or there's a full moon, or I didn't eat enough. Um, you know, so it was never alcohol's fault. It was always something else. Um, and, uh, you know, things went on. I took some courses um, in, you know, food and wine, especially wine. And um, I opened up a catering company um, once I had moved back to the States. And um, I think that's when my drinking really escalated. I just couldn't take the pressure. Um, and I couldn't understand why everyone around me in this industry seemed to drink so much and maybe more than I did, but they seemed to react a different way. Um, or I, I could not seem to stop. They all seemed to be able to stop. And I just was like, how do they do it? I can't do it. Um, and this all got very, you know, really escalated when I was about 34 and I had uh, a breakup of a relationship. And there was one weekend where um, I had a case of wine from work. It was an 18 bottle case. It was a long weekend. And at the end of the four day long weekend, those 18 bottles of wine were empty. Wow. And yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, and I remember thinking, okay, that something had, it is alcohol. It is, it's alcohol. Um, there is a problem there. And around this time, my mom sent me Claudia Christian's TED talk. Uh, and she kind of did it under the guise of this may help uh, a mutual friend of ours. Now, I don't know <laughs> if I, I think she really wanted me to look at it, but I was so um, pulled in, so intrigued right away because of the biology behind it, the genetics, the science, it made sense to me. Um, Cause I said, I didn't, I had a good childhood. I didn't used to be like this. This happened when I tried alcohol, like the, the switch went off in my brain and I need to figure out a way to turn it off. Um, but yeah, my life before, before seeing that Ted talk, uh, it was very hopeless. I didn't feel like there was a way out of that. There's a lot of alcohol use disorder in my family too. So I felt like it was an unescapable genetic thing. Um, so, uh, yes, very, very different from where I am today. Uh, now, did you try anything else before you tried the Sinclair method? I really just tried complete abstinence. Um, I looked into AA and the idea of saying I am powerless never sat well with me. Um, I'm just not that kind of girl. <laughs> and uh, it just, it didn't sit well with me. And I thought, you know, um, there's gotta be another way. And it, it, the the finality of it, I, I can never celebrate again. I can never have that, you know, uh, it was it was too much and it made me kind of say, then I won't do anything. Um, but yeah, I really just uh, tried to not drink at all, which, never worked because I had horrible withdrawal symptoms. Um, and I never thought about, you know, trying to cut, I would try to cut back in vain, but it never worked. So um, when there was the glimmer of hope that there was something, because I always thought, I wish I could take a, a magic pill and it could fix me. And well, I know it isn't a magic pill. You have to work with it and use it correctly. Um, it sure felt like that to me at the time. So your mom was the one that first introduced you to the Sinclair method through the TEDx yeah. talk. What was what was your reaction other than just say, oh, this makes sense. But like, was there a processing that you had to do between seeing the video and saying, OK, I'm going to do this? What was what was that period like? It was very scary because I felt like I was jumping into the unknown. Um, I watched the, the Ted talk so many times over and over and over again. Um, and I tried to reach out to a couple of my doctors about it and they were like the Sinclair, what with what now Trexone doesn't work that way. Um, you know, they, they were just kind of like, it's, it's not, it's not for you. Um, so I ended up scheduling a call with Claudia. And she really talked me through the process. And I said to her, well, you know, what stood out to me in your TED talk is when you said, I went by this billboard with the big wine glass. And for so many years, it held so much meaning. It's, you know, I, I either can have wine, I want wine, or I, I can't have wine. Um, and then one day she said, that's just a billboard. 
And I was like, I want to be there. I want to be in that place. And she said, you can totally get there. You can totally get there. And she was so wonderful and supportive and kept emailing me um, kind of throughout that very beginning process. 2019, um, that... Connecticut was one of our final states. Like we struggled so hard to find a provider, even a single telemedicine provider who could treat people in Connecticut. Uh, So uh, (laughs) that might have been right around that time where it was still, the options were not many. Um, Was that your experience as well? I mean, because even our resources, it, it was, I think 2018, 19 was right about the time it finally might have broken through, but it wasn't much. Yeah, it was, it was hard to find at first. And then I, I found a company called Alcure, um, and they had a doctor that practiced in Connecticut. Um, and that was such a game changer for me to have, um, you know, the doctor, I talked to him once a month over telemedicine and he, the um, medication was sent right to my house, really kept me accountable, um, you know, and, but it was, it was difficult um, finding resources at that time. Um, but luckily I found one. I was very grateful for that. Walk us through your journey on the Sinclair method. So you finally, you finally get a prescription and you're ready to go. What next? So I had um, joined one of Katie Lane's groups at the time um, and did that once a week just to kind of gain some support uh, from other people going through the process. But uh, I did that a little bit, but it was really kind of a lonely process because I usually drank alone. Um, And I just, I remember my, my drink of choice was really good red wine. And I just said, I'm going to do this and try this red wine. And uh, it, it was the, for me, I was an early responder. The first drink, I remember my, my wine just sitting there and being like, this is so weird. By this time, usually I would be <laughs> going for, you know, the rest of the bottle, not, not, and I was just sitting there kind of looking at it. I thought, I'm just not making a move. Um it blew my mind because I, I never, I thought this is crazy. This isn't going to work. And you're still drinking. Um, but when I felt that and I, I go, it's been like an hour and a half, there's a half a glass of wine sitting there. I said, no, you have to stick with this. You have to stay compliant. Um, and I just made a promise to myself. I said, we can always go back to drinking the old way if this doesn't work. But if you just experienced it that way, it's probably going to work. Um, and I just kind of kept that hope alive throughout the whole thing. And it, it took a long time because uh, June 7th, 2019 is when I, I took my first naltrexone with a drink. Um, and then the pandemic came up in February. So I very much dragged my way through the pandemic, but always with an naltrexone. Um, so I say I kind of drank my way through to the other side, essentially, uh, but uh, I couldn't believe how it was reducing just organically, really. Amazing. And we always talk about how the process takes time and it's not linear. 
So what, what did, like, what kind, describe your ups and downs along the way. I mean, the pandemic is, is a big one and that's, um, and, and I think it's important that people recognize you can't control all of the factors. And sometimes these external factors are going to come at you sideways and there's nothing you can do about them. So how, how did you deal with those, um, those more difficult points in your journey? I definitely had some of those. And I remember one was St. Patrick's day, 2020, uh, right at the beginning of lockdown, I had closed up my business, um, and was just, you know, quarantining at home. And, I said, I haven't had uh, liquor in a while. I'm going to try some scotch on St. Patrick's Day and got really, really intoxicated and hadn't hadn't lost control like that in a while. And um, right away, I booked a session with uh, my naltrexone provider. And he, I, I think by doing that, I just kept myself accountable. Like I am, I'm still, you know, on the straight and narrow, but I got had a little, way too much to drink and is this okay is this going to hurt my progress and, and he said no you you just have to keep going you have to stay compliant you have to stay the course um and i i just never let myself not not take the pill an hour before um i would set timers i would uh you know set reminders on my phone and all that but um i just and it was good for me to see that I could have a night like that. And then the next week wasn't going to become a downward spiral. So I almost think you can learn so much from those. Um, I'm not even going to call it a slip up because it's just part of the process. Um, but after that time, I really, I said, gosh, I, I remember so much that happens now. I, I didn't have an, like a blackout again after that night ever. Um, and to me, that's amazing that now, I remember everything that happens now. <laughs> and prior to that night, how much had you reduced your drinking? I was, you know, that 18 bottles in the long weekend was was a rarity, but not um, not so much of a long shot. I was doing like two, two and a half bottles of wine a day um, and not not always becoming I, I was very quiet about it. Um, I don't think anyone knew I was drinking that much. Um, and then the Naltre after I started the Naltrexone, I said, gee, I'm really not exceeding like five drinks a day. Um, there were a couple times, like that time in March uh, of 2020, but really I kind of stayed under that um, five drinks and then it just started becoming less and less and less. Um, and then I remember it was October, 2021. I said, I haven't had a drink in a really long time, <laughs> like a few weeks. And I was like, I don't even care about it. Um, I, you know, and I still have it in my house. I cook with it all the time, but it's just become another ingredient. So. That that's awesome. Uh, and that, yeah. that's your billboard. That is yes. your billboard because yes. it's now just an ingredient that you cook with. Yeah. And the fact that I can keep it in my house. And I mean, the other day I'm like, this wine has been sitting here for months. Like, I don't even know if we could, <laughs> this is pork. We can't use this. Um, 
So it's, I never thought I would have that. Um, so yeah, that is my billboard, which is pretty amazing. What did you find the most difficult about the Sinclair method? I have to be honest, when I found out that I could keep drinking, but, you know, help myself to cut back on drinking at the same time, I was like, I have no, I have no complaints about this. <laughs> I really didn't find anything very difficult about it. Um, trusting the process, probably just trusting that this will eventually get me to a place where I'm not craving alcohol and I don't want to go back for that next drink. Um, and that was hard because sometimes I felt, um, you know, I did have my doctor and I, I, I did have all the, the C3 Foundation's resources and stayed in touch with Claudia, but it did feel lonely sometimes to be like, I'm just kind of doing this, you know, and hoping it'll work. Um, so trusting the process probably was the hardest thing for me. Um, but I never had any side effects really from, from the medication itself. So um, yeah, I, I was so thankful to have another option. You have touched on some of the ways that you held yourself accountable. So a lot of people will, they'll have, they'll have a, a downtick in their drinking and then they'll have that first uptick and they're like, the medication's not working. The only thing that's gotten me this far is me. Um, without taking into account that it's the two working together and that you have you have to be a partner with the medication and with the process. So talk a little bit more about how you worked as a partner with the TSM process to make it easier on yourself. Um, well, I had uh, kind of, you know, like a routine, I would usually come home at the end of the day and I would, um, for a while it was, I was drinking every day still. So I would just take my pill and I would, you know, do things around the house. And then I had a timer when I could have my first drink. Um, so setting timers, um, was good. Keeping those appointments with my doctor, even though sometimes I didn't need a refill on medication, um, just talking to him and being like being very honest um because that's something i don't think i always did with doctors when they asked about my drinking so that was a new one for me but being very honest and saying like yes i had scotch and i'm realizing liquor doesn't really for me anyway with maybe my body chemistry doesn't work well with the naltrexone um i've heard people say that they're fine they're fine with doing that but um for me i found that wasn't a good mix um your recovery journey is uniquely yours. When you have questions or need guidance reaching your goals, there's a TSM coach for you at your Sinclair Method Coaching. Book a coaching session today. Yeah, so wine was my drink and that seemed to work better with the medication and with just my, my system. But um, I'm trying to think what else I did to really, oh, I had a, you know, a keychain with some naltrexone in it. I had naltrexone in my purse. I had naltrexone at work. I had, you know, um, 
I just never let myself be without it. I always had one on me. So I could never be like, oh, well, I, I want to have a drink, but I don't have a pill. But, you know, just once isn't going to hurt. I just never let myself do that. Um, and honestly, in the first couple of weeks, I really kind of stayed close to home um, that, you know, and I know that isn't always possible for everyone, but that's just what I decided to do. I said, I'm just going to test this out at home and see what it's like. I didn't know how it would make me feel and all that. Um, trying to think of what else I did. Um, oh, I, I started making it important to have one alcohol-free day a week because that really showed me, yes, this medication is working. Um, when, you know, I remember Claudia saying like, go on a hike or have some spicy food or do something, you know, to um, give yourself some happiness. And I was like, wow, this stuff is cool. This stuff is brighter and more vibrant and more enjoyable. Um, and I saw that right off the bat. So I said, no, this, this medication is working. Um, so just reminding myself that, yes, it's working and it's a process, not an event, and it's going to take time. And it did. It took, it took some time for me, but um, to have that freedom now to have it in my house and not think about it is, I mean, I, I just never could have imagined. And how long did it take you to work your way to that first alcohol-free day? So my first alcohol-free day, I believe, was about four months after I started the Sinclair Method. And um, I don't remember what happened that exact day, but I just remember it kind of coming around to that time uh, at night when I would take my pill and wait the hour. And it just, I don't remember if something happened or if I just didn't, I, I think I just was like, I, I'm not going to try one of those alcohol-free days. I'm just not feeling like wine tonight, which was I always felt like wine, um, always. So, uh, and when I tried it, um, it kind of, it, like I said, it kind of started to happen for me organically. I would have, you know, and maybe there were two a week. And then it started that I wasn't drinking, I was drinking less during the week. Um, and then I'd say, well, I'm really only had doing this on weekends. Um, and it, it was a, progressive and a slow decline, but uh, it really was amazing how it happened. And once I did get to that alcohol-free day, um, you know, I, I used to think that alcohol helped with my anxiety and my, um, you know, kind of being social and being around people. Um, I was so much more able to enjoy and do those things without it, uh, which still blows my mind. A lot of people really stress over that first alcohol-free day. And yeah. I love that your particular story it is both from a perspective of someone who calls yourself an early responder, yet you say it took you about four months for that alcohol-free day. Now, I'm really hoping people who are watching this are going to see that the two are not mutually exclusive. No. And so talk a little bit about in that four months, how, like, what were the things that you think may have stopped you from taking an alcohol-free day, um, things that made you want to, but 
maybe shied away from at the last minute. Talk talk about what really went into building toward that first alcohol-free day because it's really important that people understand that when you get there is when you get there. There's no specific overall time limit that says if you're on the Sinclair method and you you should have your first alcohol-free day by this point because it is unique to everybody. So talk a little bit about how that was for you. Sure. Um, and I, I definitely agree. They're not mutually exclusive at all. And every I, everyone that I've talked to on the Sinclair method has a different timeline. Um, but, you know, all these people are very happy with the outcome. So um, I think I had to keep reminding myself that there was not necessarily a right way for this to go as long as I was remaining compliant. Um, and I kept telling my doctor, I just don't want to have an alcohol-free day yet. And I wasn't sure why. I just said, I, I don't want one. It seems like a really sad day. Um, and he said, well, when it doesn't seem like a really sad day to you anymore, you'll have one. And that kind of took the pressure off. I was just like, yeah, I'll have one when it happens. Um, but I very much wanted to want to have one. But I kind of, and I don't, I don't know, maybe this wasn't, totally the right thing to do but i just waited until i was genuinely like no i can i can handle this um and i was also desperately afraid of any kind of withdrawal symptoms so i think part of me was thinking i better keep a little alcohol in my system <laughs> like you know i better not go completely without because that was a big fear um and that was a big fear before the sinclair method about stopping um because i would have horrible symptoms and um, you know, I, I've heard terrible stories about people going to get treated for those symptoms and were treated terribly. So, um, it's, it's a very isolating feeling, but once I will say that once I did have an alcohol free day, the first time I was like, okay. Cause I, I remember I was like, I'm going to eat spicy food. I'm, you know, going to do all these things, clog you talked about and see if they really are that much better because I'm I'm a little cynical <laughs> and I was like no this this they're better like this spicy food tastes good and it's like you know um, I'm getting something from that and I'm seeing color differently so it is a very cool thing once you do it um, but I would say to people don't you know, think that you're not making progress if it's not happening for you right away. Cause it did take me four months. Um, and you know, now I, I'm alcohol, I'm actually alcohol free most of the time. So, um, I gave myself a lot of grace and I tried not to pass judgment on myself. That was another thing that was hard. Um, I'm sure it's hard for many people with alcohol use disorder cause we tend to be our own worst critics, I think, but, um, yeah. I tried to give myself a lot of grace. I love that you said you didn't want an alcohol-free day because you thought it would be sad, but you wanted to want an alcohol-free day. So mm -hmm. this is also something that people commonly struggle with is being able to, on one level, completely rationalize 
part of the process, why it's good, why you should do it, and yet still have a, an inert resistance to it. Um, yeah. So talk a little bit more about kind of how you unpacked that um, and whenever you came up with those those mental blocks that mm -hmm. you can look at and say, okay, this, this doesn't even make sense. And yet the reality of what I'm feeling is still valid because a lot of that goes into giving yourself grace and not being judgmental. And yeah. you declined to take the beat your head, beat yourself over the head approach. So talk about some of the tools that you employed to be, uh, productive in getting past those points? Well, I knew that I wanted, you know, in the long term, much more out of my life than kind of the box that alcohol use disorder had put me in. And I knew that eventually I wanted that alcohol free day and I didn't want to view it as a really sad day and a really depressing time that I could, that I was being deprived of something I really wanted. Um, I started um, actually doing embroidery around this time, which I'm not a crafty person at all. <laughs> like just never really have been. My, my creativity has always been in food, um, not so much, you know, making things. But I've actually found doing something with my hands at night because that seemed to be my time where it was, ha it was habitual, like reach for my wine, you know, watch Netflix and have my wine. Um, so doing something with my hands during that time was was helpful in kind of being like, okay, we're get you know, maybe one we were at five drinks, maybe we're getting down to four drinks because of that. And I would think maybe I'm closer and closer to a day where I don't have a drink. Um, and I think I also felt I was like, okay, four months of like consistently cutting down and not binging on alcohol probably not going to have a, a you know a serious withdrawal symptom so i i think i almost kept myself like um kind of i i probably could have done it sooner um but i kind of kept that in my back pocket as like a well better just take my pill and have something um but yeah trying to fill my time my free time with something else um was helpful and just reducing and eventually having that day where um, it is alcohol free. And I kept telling myself on that day, if you really want to, you can take a pill and an hour later you can have a glass of wine. Um, and the day kind of, I said, you know what, I'm just gonna go to bed, I guess, eventually. <laughs> um, and I was like, wow, I, I did it. I did it. And I remember sleeping amazingly well that night and i always had said well i you know i like to have a drink at night because it helps me sleep um i've not slept so well i mean since i started drinking i sleep or stopped drinking i sleep amazingly well so and what was that first morning like after you had been alcohol free the day before pretty amazing actually <laughs> I was like, I don't have, I don't have a hangover. Um, it's amazing how 
much people with alcohol use disorder just get used to having being hungover most of the time. Um, you know, just that's part of your morning routine almost when you're in that place and um, waking up and being like, oh, not only did I do that, but I feel pretty good. This feels good. Um, but even then I was like, yeah, but I don't, I don't want to do that every day. I don't want to stop drinking for good. I still want to hold, you know, um, and I just kind of let myself have that. I would say, well, no, you don't, you don't have to stop drinking for good. Um, and then I, I kind of made it a goal. I said, okay, I'm going to try to do that once a week. Um, and it very organically turned into twice a week, three times a week. Um, and the days became more and more enjoyable without it. Um, so that was pretty cool. A lot of the reason why we love to talk to people about their stories is to communicate the hope at the end of the process. So talk about the difference in your life now. Now that you've used the Sinclair method, now that you have the choice and the total control of saying when, if, and how much you, alcohol you're gonna drink, how has that changed your life? Completely. I mean, it, it is amazing. Um, I, I'm a mother and it was always something very important to me to break this cycle of, of alcohol use disorder that went on in my family. But before the Sinclair method, I, I really didn't see a way out of that. So I feel really good that I kind of broke that cycle for her and that I also have this knowledge about this method in case she does need it someday. I hope not, but um, you know, I, I have this knowledge of it to help other people with it. Um, you know, I wake up really looking forward to every day. Um, my, you know, depression and anxiety have drastically reduced. And those were the things I really think I was using alcohol to manage those, those kind of things. So um, the fact that they're now not really there to the same extent anymore is amazing. Um, I kind of look at alcohol now, I say like the way maybe an eight or nine year old is, I'm like, oh, that's like for the adults. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm 38 years old. Uh, I just look at it as something I'm like, oh yeah, they're having that. I'm not really interested in it. Um, I went to a wedding this past April and I was like, I'm, I'm going to get a Shirley Temple. And I was genuinely excited about it. And I had my pill. I could have taken it and had some champagne or something, but, um, it's just, it, it's just became like a choice. Like, yes, I could have that. And now I'm choosing not to, cause I just usually sleep better when I don't, um, feel better. So yeah life is very good now. Um, not, not so many of those sad days, <laughs> but they are alcohol free most, most of the time. Um, but my sister is getting married next year and I, I went with her to pick out her wedding dress and I was able to take my pill and have a champagne toast with her and then poured the rest into her glass. Cause I was like, I have no interest in the rest of this, but to be able to do that and not have a full on relapse back into, you know, where I was 
is just amazing. And um, I think now it's, I'm like, why don't, why don't more people know about this? Um, <laughs> and why aren't we telling, you know, why the, I see it sometimes on social media, people saying, oh, you know, I was alcohol free for this long, but I relapsed. And I want to say like, oh, you need to try this pill. But people act like you're, you know, trying to um, almost sabotage their progress or something. So it's very, it's delicate uh, to talk about. Um, but yeah, life is very good now. Um, does it still have tough days and tough times? Yeah. Uh, but I don't reach for, I don't even think to reach for alcohol anymore to solve those problems. And that's what I thought was going to be a big problem for me in not drinking. Well, I've always drank through everything. What am I going to do? Maybe actually be present and deal with life. Um, and I'm not that bad at it. I'm okay. You know, so I think it's given me some confidence too that like, yeah, I can live a life not ruled by alcohol and be okay. That's another common struggle is I feel like um, both because of the internal pressure, but also because of all of the stereotyping and stigma, a lot of people who suffer with addiction on any level have been told for so long that they're worthless and not capable and powerless and all of that. So did you surprise yourself by finding your capability and your resilience? Absolutely. Yeah. Because for so long I would, you know, especially in trying to moderate, um, myself and be like, Oh, I'll, I'll cut back a little bit, or I I'll just stop when I wasn't able to, I thought, well, you know, then you'll never be able to. Um, and it was very defeating. Um, and so when I had this tool and this method, um, I said, No, I can't, I can do this. I just, you know, I, I think if there's a way for us to do things without white knuckling it and going through terrible withdrawal symptoms. Um, I, you know, I think we're, we're here for too short of a time not to do it that way. Um, other than uh, your doctor and uh, mm -hmm. you mentioned Claudia, what other kind of support did you have? Like, did you have additional support from your family, um, from trusted friends? What, what was that like? Um, I didn't really tell anybody. Um, I kept it very private for the most part. Not even your um, mom who sent you the TEDx? <laughs> I told I told her after a couple <laughs> months, yeah. <laughs> and she's very she's very, very proud and she's um, you know, she she says, Oh, I just I just sent that, you know, I thought it was interesting. Um, and I'm like, Well, thank you. I appreciate it very much. <laughs> Um, but I was very private about it. I, I didn't share it with anyone because I was afraid of the judgment. I said, well, they'll be like, why aren't you just stopping? Why would you keep drinking, you know, with it, with a pill? Um, I don't remember. I don't think I tried to explain it to anyone, but a couple doctors, um, who either they said, well, that's not the correct way to use naltrexone or they said, oh, well, yeah, you can take that. It'll make you sick. And then you won't want to drink. 
I go, oh no, that's, <laughs> I would say, can I explain to you how it works? And a lot of times it's, they're very dismissive. Like you just have to stop. Um, and it just came to, down to, well, I, I tried to do that, but I don't seem to be able to. Um, and realizing like, oh, maybe because I was physically addicted to alcohol and my brain needed to, you know, kind of be rewired around that um, made so much sense to me as, as like a believer in science too. Um, so yeah, I, it was, it was a lonely process at first. Um, and then when I kind of stopped drinking altogether, I um, looped a few more people in and said, well, actually, I did this very cool thing and it does work because I'm having a Shirley Temple right now um, at, by choice, you know, not because I'm not allowed or um, anything like that. So I, when I did share it with a few people, they were like, I've never heard of that. Um, how does that work? So I think um, kind of protecting myself and my, you know, the process I during the early stages, I kept it very private, but um, people did think it was cool once I opened up about it and was kind of living proof that yes, this works. And is there anything that you know now that you wish you had known when you started the process? Well, I guess I, I, I wish I'd known just how effective it was. Like, I remember hearing that story about Claudia and the billboard and the glass of wine and thinking, well, that's very nice. Um, you know, and I, I hope for that someday, but I won't get to that point. But even if it's like, you know, just some harm reduction, I'm sure I'll never stop drinking. Um, you know, even in when I registered with uh, the provider who gave me the naltrexone, he said, well, what are your goals? I said, oh, just to cut back. Um, but it, it became just like, I guess I stopped. I guess I, I'm just, alcohol really isn't in my life. And I d didn't even notice. Um, to me, that, that was just such proof positive that this can work for people and, and be sustainable. Um, because that was one thing I said, you know, especially being a mom, I want to, I, I don't want to live my life kind of working steps and having to keep relapsing and going backwards. And um, I said, I, I just want to take care of this. And it really did. So I guess I just, just to know how well and how effective it, it truly is. And it's a fairly benign medication. Um, so, you know, that's why it, it sounds repetitive, but one little pill can change a life like that. It's just incredible. It's incredible to me and I'm just so thankful for it. And if you could give one piece of advice to someone who is either just about to start or looking into the Sinclair method or has maybe just hit that first bump in the road, what would you tell them? I would say, even if it's not how you usually talk to yourself or treat yourself, pretend you're talking to a dear friend or, you know, a, a child of you, someone you, you love and admire and are close to and give yourself the, the grace and um, that you would give that person 
and try not to judge yourself too much because you know, your, your brain and your body are addicted to alcohol and you're undoing that process. Um, and it's going to take some time and there's going to be some bumps. It's definitely not linear and you can come back from, from those bumps in the road. I think telling someone about it, keeping myself accountable and being like, this happened, I drank too much of this and, um, you know, it, it wasn't a good night and I didn't feel well. And all. I think telling someone when those things happened, um, kept me accountable. I told the doctor, someone might have someone else they can tell, um, a spouse, uh, you know, a trusted friend, but um, I, I really did have to work at kind of being very kind to myself and giving myself that grace and being like, this is, you know, you're recovering from, from something. Um, so I would just tell people be very kind to themselves and give themselves so much credit for, for giving this process uh, a chance because it could change your life. So try to trust the process as much as possible. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us and with our audience. Uh, it has been a pleasure to have you on the show. And um, any last thoughts? I don't think so. Just, um, yeah, compliance, stay, stay 100% compl compliant, um, was really my, my rock. Um, so if nothing else is getting someone who's going through this process through the day, stay compliant, take your pill an hour before. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. This TSM quick tip is brought to you by the C3 foundation with support from our sponsor, Alcure. So I haven't taken my tablet and I drank. Now what? Well, so we consider that to be a relapse. And what's really important is that you have a plan for what your relapse looks like. So that may be something so simple as telling your friends, your loved ones that you've relapsed and that you need to start over. It may be journaling. Why? Why didn't you have your pills? Did you run out? Did you not feel like taking it? What were the triggers there? Why? Ask yeah. yourself why? and start over. For sure, start over, get back on the horse immediately.